Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. At the time of recording, March 2020, we're feeling the vice-like grip of the COVID-19 coronavirus, um, and particularly in the beer industry, hospitality. It really does feel like we're entering a period of sustained social isolation and social distancing which is going to have huge ramifications for everybody in hospitality so I just want to say up the top of the episode that we're very lucky to be part of the beer scene and very fortunate as well that within this community we have so much passion and innovation and creativity that I feel that we can actually come out of this stronger. But in order to do so, we do have to work together and help each other out. In the show notes, I've put the link to the Indie Beer Showcase, which is happening this Friday and Saturday. So if you're listening uh, in real time, you might have missed that if you're a few days late, um, which is an online alternative to the postponed Indie Beer Showcase and also I've uh, put in a link from um, Matt the Beer Teaching Nerd who I'm sure a lot of you in the online space are familiar with but Matt has spent a lot of time and energy uh, putting together all the online beer offerings as a bid to support the independent um, beer retailers and breweries to sustain themselves because clearly cash flow is going to be an issue in these times And the uncertainty as well is going to really be problematic when people are deciding where to spend their money or where to allocate resources in a small business or a medium-sized business. So I did reach out online just to see whether there was any suggestions. Matters seem to cover them all uh, because by the time I'd asked the question very thick and fast, they started coming in. But I think um, Maka got from Bruges News he said one of the best ideas uh, for businesses is just buying gift vouchers. Uh, if you buy gift vouchers now for birthday presents, Christmas presents, but that does mean the money goes into the account of that business now and will help with cash flow. And then when the, this crisis is over, you know, everything settled down, then obviously, you know, don't cancel things as well. Uh, previous guest of the show, Jocelyn Erickson, uh, from Hop On Brewery Tours in Queensland is urging people not to cancel their tours and visits but postpone them, you know, put them off um, at least to help the certainty and um, things to stay afloat. There are countless places that are offering home delivery or very localised delivery and, and some further afield but I think, look, we just have to be as creative as possible and even things like buying beer merchandise and things for Christmas and birthday presents going forward that'll just help oil and grease the wheels uh, for the upcoming you know because who knows what's around the corner and how this is going to develop and play out so and I would also like to extend that offer as well if anybody needs any assistance or help with things I'll certainly help where I can and where it's appropriate And in the meantime, I will endeavor to keep making this podcast as I think particularly when you're socially isolated, 
it's great to have something familiar and something that fits in with your routine as well. So I will endeavor to do that. I also do make another podcast called The Wheel of Sport, uh, which uh, the greatest compliment I've been paid with this podcast is um, that people who don't like sport really enjoy it. So I I feel like um, particularly with um, a lot of sports scheduling cancelled might be uh, actually great for some people because it, it does seem to be an ever-present in our lives. Um, so it might be useful to have a break from some of the sports, but there's hours and hours of content there to delve into. So that's also in the show notes. If people like to listen to the wheel of sport, uh, some really inspirational stories as well, which I think, uh, and some just funny and silly stories, which I think all of those things are needed, uh, at this time, uh, as a bit of escapism as well. I hope this wasn't too long to talk uh, at the start of the episode. I'm speaking in an unscripted manner, so uh, it might be a little bit disjointed, but we'll stick together. We'll get through it. And here is the episode proper. Let's cue the music. Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally and this is the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I'm chatting with Evan Craney from Bright Brewery. Great episode, lots of fun to record with Evan. My goodness, his passion comes through. He knows a lot about beer. His beer choices were excellent and very malty, which gets a tick in my book. Let's get into it. Welcome, Evan, to the Chosen Brew Beer podcast. Thanks for coming along today from Bright Brewery. Thank you for having me. Now, I have had a representative of Bright Brewery, uh, James Davidson, uh, yep. uh, good friend of yours, uh, now moved on from Bright um, Brewery, yes. not, not from the town. No, no, I believe he's, he's the town. But he, he, one of his jobs is to to drive people to the high country but not he's not an uber driver no he's, he's not literally driving he might but, do it make a killing though because there's no uber and bright so <laughs> the first person to do it is going to make some actual cash i think yeah. well evan um i'm thinking back to that interview with james and i, I definitely won't compare you <laughs> he's, he's, he's technically my predecessor so i've just taken on his old role as about two weeks ago you just, so, oh, so you just have to clear up his mess. You're still clear. <laughs> we, I actually, I think I share his old email address now as well. So, <laughs> so Bright, let's talk about where Bright Brewery's up to because yeah. last time I spoke with James, there was a plan to move out to the old uh, milk factory. I did try to get Bright to brew a milk stout as their first uh, <laughs> brew, but I don't know where that happened. Um, tell us a little bit about where you're up to in terms of you know getting a bigger brewing facility Mm -hmm. but also you know that means you've got to get distribution yeah and wider recognition yeah so tell us where where you're up to in in bright as a as a picture as we stand now 2020 so i guess um the last probably 12 to 18 months maybe even a little bit more than that have been the the biggest changes for the brewery um as you mentioned we were in the process of building and the old milk factory, it's now up and running. So uh, the facility has been uh, a production facility since, I believe, about 2018. Um, sort of late 2018, we were up and running. And that's that's been the key driver for the brand. A lot of people know Bright Brewery. It's been operational s- since 2005. But 
what the problem was is the brewery had on site literally could only serve the capacity of the restaurant and a couple of places around town. Um, the brewery was almost infamous for never having beer outside of the actual venue in Bright. Um, you'd find more Bridge Road beers than Bright beers because we just couldn't sell enough beer to the town itself. So the production brewery was the first step for us to to move to that next level and to be able to showcase a bit more of what we do. And when we've got, on average, somewhere between 800,000 and a million people, what we're getting annually to the Alpine region, um, at least that's what we're getting here. And statistically, there's a lot of people passing through and we need to capitalise on them not just drinking beers in-house, but obviously heading back to where they lived and, and buying the beers. So the production brewery came on board. Um, probably the next big move after that was we put on a new head brewer in January of last year, uh, Reed Stratton, who had previously worked at New England Brew Co. can never remember if that's in Queensland or, or New South Wales. It's on the border somewhere. America, isn't it? Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> I got excited when I saw that. Um, but he's actually American. So prior to that, he'd, he'd bounced around American microbreweries. He'd spent some time, probably no, most notably in Jolly Pumpkin, um, for the beer nerds out there. That's sort of one that triggers a few bells. Um, and when Reed came on, I sort of came on around about the same time for the mindset of widening our distribution Fortunately for me, Reed's a very proactive brewer. Um, normally brewers and salespeople have very different mindsets. The salesperson comes in and says, here's all this outlandish product I want you to make. Do it so I can, we can make some money. And the brewer says, oh, I really like Czech Pilsners. Um, but Reed's great. Reed sort of, he comes to the, the table each time. And he takes everything as a challenge. So over the past 12 months um, with Reed on board, we've gone and we've started brewing more beers um, than ever before. So especially in that so that limited realm, we moved our production not just from bottles to cans, um, which market demand was there as well. Um, and we did a bit of a rebrand. So um, I've got some packaging here. It's pretty hard of a podcast to see what we're talking about. But um, we went back and we sort of assessed where our labels were in the market and saw that the little country brewery needed to step itself up to be in Melbourne. And we redesigned all our labels and all our packaging. We brought a, a bit more life to them. And now... Bright, luckily, is I think at last count we're just over 250 different suppliers throughout Victoria or um, customers throughout Victoria, growing weekly. Um, we're now in the stages of moving into a national space with some possible distribution through Canberra, Tasmania, and Queensland. Um, and yeah, we just kind of keep growing. So it's it's fun times. It's all steam ahead at Bright Brewery. It's really exciting to to hear that, Evan. And um, I'm going to create a bit of work for myself here because okay. I do have the functionality to uh, to put pictures of the packaging on the <laughs> on the podcast. So if you're listening and you look at your device now, you'll be able to see the pictures of. Um, oh, how good does the, that look? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit spooky. Like I, I don't, I'm not. I'm hoping I'm. I'm so. I might have to edit this out <laughs> and say no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but yeah, there has been a big shift in terms of the marketing side of things and branding, and also the cans have meant that you know it really has brought life to yeah to, to and color as well, which you do um, you know by its nature you struggle to do that in a brown bottle. Mm. So obviously, bright it centers around. The, this amazing venue yeah do you think in some respect the venue because it was so good it, it's almost held you back a little from a production standpoint yeah. of course yeah when it, one hand has to feed the other but the production we not being able to get beer outside of the brewery is obviously going to hurt in terms of 
what our biggest issue has been over the past 12 to 18 months, people don't expect to get bright beers outside of bright because they never could. And you've had a brand that's existed for 15 years and a lot of people have visited it multiple times. Some people go yearly, some people go every few years when they they might go to Mount Hotham or whatever it might be. But then don't expect if they live in Mornington Peninsula or Northcote to be able to go to the bottle shop and get bright. So it's not a beer on their mind. Um, but in saying that, when you have a, such a strong business like the restaurant, what it did was it, it may have slowed down our progress, but it probably helped solidify our base. So we have a very good business model that allows us to maybe take more risks when we get to a commercial space. A lot of breweries probably don't have that, and I've worked for other breweries that don't have that. It's it's a bit more of a race and it's a bit more of a gamble to get that money back in where we did that slow burn. Um, and yeah, it's it's definitely it's, it's a double-edged sword on that one as well. Probably the best benefit for us is the fact that because it's in such a beautiful location, because we have so many people coming through, it is a name brand in some ways. It's now the greatest challenge, as I said, is getting people to know they can purchase the beer outside of Bright and wanting to as well. Um, and that's effectively what we've been doing pretty hard for the past 12 months in reality. So Because, yeah. because that is definitely one of the things that you know is such a massive open goal, isn't it? Because people and people who have who are listening who have been to Bright mm. will definitely relate to this because it's such a special brewery. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a special place to sit and just in and around a town, the holiday feel, mm. just, you know, such a, a wonderful, wonderful place. And then you have the beer. And then obviously when you get back to the big smoke, you want to recapture in some yeah. way that, you know, that magic that you had on holiday and what a great opportunity to be able to do it um, now. So it's gr- it's great to hear that distribution is going to be around. Yeah. But then obviously it comes the challenge of um, quality, yep. range, um, satisfying. Because when you're <laughs> operating in a restaurant, nobody's got any choice. I mean, no. they can walk to the pub down the street, but they're limited. So you've got a captive audience, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas now in, the, in Dan Murphy's or wherever, yeah. you know, other shops are available uh (laughs) then you walk in and you're up against a hundred other brands so how do you go about i mean and and this is part speaking with your role yeah explain what your your role is and what your job is so my i am the sales manager for the brewery so um was the the melbourne sales representative um and then recently have taken over so the sales team as we're looking to expand um and basically, yeah, but my role has been to be the person that gets into to venues and stores and, and sells and gets the product on shelf and gets it on taps. It's a it, it's a hard question in terms of how do you do it and what do you do. There's no there's no secret here. There's no golden answer. Sometimes it's just luck. Um, and there's brands out there that will tell you that their pa- the product has come second to the packaging. They've just put out the right packaging and the product had to catch up to it. And sometimes you hit lightning in a bottle. Um, with Bright Brewery, how we approached it was I, I'm fortunate enough that I've, I've worked with a few brands. I've helped brands pretty much at their starting point. So I've seen some of the, the, the faults you can make and I've seen some of the easy wins you can get. We went and we had a real look at who we were, what we wanted to be, the mission goal, the statement that we had, um, and also where the market sort of wanted us to be in some regard. So the big thing obviously was we need to update the packaging. We need the branding to to come into that that new age and be more approachable and get people to grab it off the shelf. Then it was about, well, what beers do we make? 
And again, fortunate that we have a brewer like Reed who has a background in working in barrel aging and sours, but also in IPAs and hazies and is very nuanced in the new style of beer and isn't a brewer that's opposed to doing those things. So it's allowed us to be quite experimental. We've probably spent the past 12 months throwing different things at the board and seeing what sticks. Um, and that can be tricky at times. I think we've hit it a lot more than we've missed it, um, but we've taken a few gambles to see what would happen. The cans have been huge for us. Um, just amazing how much the market has really swung towards the cans, and it's been great in terms of venue support. They wanted the product, but they just needed to be at the right level. So it was about us getting to that level and having that communication with them. So for me, as a, as a salesperson um, and us as a brand, we've just looked at where do we need to be and what do we have to do? Again, very fortunate we have a solid business base where we can take a few more risks. We can throw a few more things out there and say, okay, that beer style works for us or, wow, we're never doing that again. Um, I don't think we've had a, wow, we're never doing that again, but we've had a, we should make less of that next time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the wins have been greater than the losses in the past 12 months, which is really fortunate for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get started with your choices of six beers that changed everything. Yeah. Um, we've got lots to talk about, Bryce, but let's jump into the beers. What's your choice one? So the first beer, I guess, the, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think the timeline on this one, um, but I think for the Epiphany beer, which I've always kind of considered to be, um, I obviously grew up. I didn't really drink Carlton. I didn't drink Fair Bear. We've actually had the discussion beforehand. I never really liked those, and that's probably, um, you know, my youthful arrogance of not wanting to be the guy that drank that. I also only ever had about $6 to my name, so I drank <laughs> cheap champagne um, mixed with lemon-lime solo all through high school. But uh, uh, it still goes down a treat. Uh, Particularly with teachers. It's, uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, the first real beer for me to have an epiphany over, um, obviously... I. I would drink things like your Crown Lagers and your Bogues Premiums. They're probably the, the first beers that on mass I would have, or a Corona. Um, but I wouldn't say I was. I would drink. I drank those beers. I say if they were available, they were there. I distinctly remember drinking a Two Brothers Grizz. Um, I was at the Collection. I think it's called on. Uh, it's still there in Richmond. Um, I'd been brought down for one dollar wings by a friend, and he said, oh, "I have this beer," and I'd never had anything like it before. Just a multi, well-made. Uh, like it would have been hops in it for the first time really that I had a beer and if you drink that beer now you wouldn't probably think there's hops in there but you compare that to a lifetime of just average lagers and Coronas um, so that's I, I I remember having that beer and then being so amazed by it but not actually getting on the craft beer journey yet that that beer just being an epiphany beer and, and always like oh if I ever see that again I'll drink it um, but yeah, I have a bit of a soft spot for, for Two Brothers and Grizz so yeah. Soft spot is the right word because yeah. it's still a beer they make. It's still a beer that every time you revisit, it does the job so well, and it's just so it's so sweet, Moorish, fr bit fruity. Yeah, like again, hop hoppy, just but also just supremely comforting. Yeah, and changes a little bit as it gets a bit warmer as well, which just brings out all these different characteristics. And and it's probably just one of those beers that because of the time it's had in the market and you forget and, and I do the same thing and um, I've recently moved only about 10 minutes away from Two Brothers um, so I, I head down there every now and then from the area and that's the beer I go for and every time I drink it I go yep yeah, that's that's still pretty delicious like yeah yeah it's the, that's a really good start to uh, 
to the beer uh, for your six choices. And um, is there any strategy in terms... <laughs> We're in our... I might get a bit loud now. <laughs> Now, obviously, due to the uh, the high quality studios we're recording <laughs> in, uh, we were slightly interrupted by a by a man with a vacuum cleaner. Uh, it has happened in my other podcast as well, but you know, it's maybe it's just something to do with me, my m- magnetic draw to suction. I think we're also, you know, we're in the age of coronavirus. You can't be too careful these days. Everything's got to be clean. <laughs> this so. is it. And um, on that note, uh, I'm very interested to see how this podcast will age when we talk about the coronavirus yep. um because this is kind of an evergreen podcast that you can revisit at any point and it's still relevant <laughs> but at the time of recording uh we are in the middle of march 2020 we've just found out uh, that the independent beer um gala yep showcase showcase yeah. showcase yeah it's previously been called gala hasn't it but um the showcase has been cancelled um for next friday and the Melbourne Comedy Festival has been cancelled as well. The Formula One has been mm-hmm. cancelled. I mean, is has there any be, ever been a better time, Evan, to sit at home, listen to a podcast and drink beer? <laughs> I don't think so. I, um, I've been out on the road this week and the, the general feeling for the pubs and bars is, oh, here we go, here's another reason for us to have a, a, a couple bad months. Um, but then on the flip side of that, I've got retailers for the first time in years smiling because they think, well, now it's our time to shine. If I get if people get stuck at home for two weeks, all they're going to do is drink. So <laughs> um, I know a lot of places that are uh, scrambling to get a delivery service or a friend with a van who'll, who'll do drop-offs to quarantined people. So, um, yeah, I mean, if I was going to get quarantined and forced on two weeks leave, uh, I'm drinking. Yeah, so Uber Eats and, and alcohol are the two things I'm going to do the most. Yeah, it's a it's a very strange time that we're living in, and uh, who knows what uh, you know what will come uh, if you're listening to this podcast in the future. Well done for making it through. <laughs> you got through. Uh, <laughs> um, you might just be listening, um, you know, in a apocalyptic. Uh, you know, you just think oh, I'll use the last seven percent of my iPhone battery to listen to the Chosen Brew Beer podcast. Uh, for before, that, thank you. Yes, so thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Uh, choice two. <laughs> uh, so choice two, we'll kind of we'll rewind, I guess, from from the craft um, side of it, and then I mentioned this beer to you before, and I've actually just swapped my list because this kind of came to my mind. I uh, was Hogarden. So um, yeah, that that was for quite some time the the beer of choice, I guess. Um, the non-mainstream beer that's actually quite mainstream. Um, but again, you're 19, you think you're the coolest guy in the world and, um, yeah, you drink different stuff. But uh, as I said, I was reminiscing only yesterday about drinking steins of that at the Belgian Beer Cafe and, um, you know, me and my friends would get off train to Flinders Street, go straight to Belgian Beer Cafe, drink two of them, so a litre apiece, and then spend a night out, which to me now sounds baffling. I don't know how I drank two litres of beer and then thought going clubbing was going to be fun. Um, but I did it, so... Yeah, and I think again the presentation of Hogarden, mm. like it's been talked about before on the podcast, but still worth revisiting every time because the heaviness of those glasses oh. was something extraordinary. Not heavy enough to stop people stealing them. No, there was definitely some theft. <laughs> um, not to say that I was someone who who stole them. Um, 
But I, I may have known some people that tried, yeah. And then take them to Crown Casino and get them confiscated very quickly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it, um, it was probably built into the price as I well. I can only imagine, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, it, it is, y- y- yes, it is a mainstream beer. And, you know, even back then it was a, a mainstream beer. But also not really because yeah. although it was kind of widely available and made by a big brewery, it was still quite an avant-garde choice yeah. for some, particularly someone in their teenage years to... I was what? a bit of a wanker. So. <laughs> I was just about yeah. to ask, what what was it that made you choose that? And that yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> some would say I still am. Um, <laughs> but I think I like the fruitiness of it as well. And wheat beer is such an interesting style. Again, we discussed this earlier, but it's a beer style that everyone's drank. And I think as incredibly approachable beer style especially when you first start drinking beer, because I don't think I know many people that had their first beer and went, this is amazing. You kind of drink it till you like it, which is such an interesting concept. And then if you become a beer nerd, it kind of overtakes everything. Um, But it's so approachable. It's so fruity. Um, Probably something I should revisit because you were saying before that last time you had it, you were um, surprised how sweet it was. Um, And that's, Probably another reason why I liked it at 19. I mean, I drank Malibu and Coke as well, so my taste buds weren't fantastic. Um, but it was it was just an easy drink of beer. It was fresh. It was floral. Um, and I just didn't have that just clawing sort of suckage of a, a carton draft or a VB. I think I felt better after drinking them as well than I would if I drank a carton draft. Yeah, and I think that's a sense as well that, you know, your, your palate does change and develop, not necessarily just through exposure to different flavors mm. and tastes yeah. but just younger when you're younger you yeah. like sweeter things yeah like you your body's saying just have sugar yeah. all the time you know um whether you're a four-year-old who just wants lollies <laughs> or whether you're a 19 year old who actually can't really like carlton that much yeah. and how garden seems like such a it's it's not quite a soft drink but it's you know heading towards that end and it's still a beer um, obviously, particularly if you if you get to uh, you know pose in the Belgian beer cafe yeah. and, and feel better than the uh, the rest of society drinking. Yeah, TV. I mean you're upper class. You're looking out at everyone. <laughs> look at me. Um, but yeah, no. So that was that would have been probably a mainstay for me for a little while as well. Um, until I guess I probably got a little bit more into the hospitality industry and started working behind bars. And um, my next pick it's a kind of a jewel pick um, comes from working in restaurants. And I think that's really when my love of craft beer really started to tick off or kind of open up. Perfect. Well, let's do choice three then. So choice three is actually, it's, it's two beers because I kind of can't split them. They're both pretty a co- much a cocktail. A cocktail. Um, <laughs> kind of happened simultaneously, I guess, um, in the in what happened. So I started working uh, in, a, in a nice sort of upper-class restaurant that probably for its time, it's like eight years, six, seven, eight years ago, um, and had a decent beer list. Obviously, had a few of the staples, but um, always tried to have a few premium options. And when I was there, two of the options that were there were Mountain Goat Hightail and Two Birds Sunset. Um, so, you know, again, back to Grizz, we've got a, a little bit more of a multi sort of style going on here, um, pre hops in a lot of ways. Um, but I remember loving Hightail, and that was my knockoff. And then Sunset came in, and um, the freshness, and I remember the passion fruit coming through, and just being enamoured by those beers, and to the point where I wasn't a table service; I was only a bar. Um, I loved those beers so much that whenever anyone had a beer question, they'd pull me out 
just to talk about the beers because I was so involved and probably Sunset in particular. Like I loved that beer and I would talk endlessly about that beer. Um, and that was, I think, when I started to realise more about breweries and start thinking about it a little bit differently and getting just more involved in what the process was and the understanding of everything and looking into a little bit more. Um, but yeah, those two in particular. I think they're probably an apex point for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think Sunset particularly, um, Hightail was very much a forerunner and a champion of that kind of English-style um, bitter. But then you get to Sunset, which has got all those tropical notes. Mm. It It's such a an interesting case study as well because uh, that was a real flagship beer for yeah. two birds. When... Everything else was saying, if you start up a brewery, brew a pale ale. Yeah. And Two Birds took eight, literally years to brew yeah. a pale ale. And here they stole a march on the market because mm. they brewed something that not everybody was brewing. And it was this sunset, beautiful caramel color, yeah. tropical flavors, change with the temperature, just a luscious reassuring beer and i think two birds in a lot of ways were far ahead of their time or just in in, in terms of craft beer coming from the brewing perspective and and being with startups and and seeing what it takes to be successful they were just so prepared with their branding was spot on early they had a great visual visualization that the labels were great the name was great i mean the story was fantastic they were a cohesive product straight away where it usually takes years to sort of get that message across. Two Birds was such an easy product to talk about. Um, it was always something you, you could just dive straight into the story of Jane and Danielle, like it was your own. And um, that's almost that cult of personality kind of thing. Like you get behind it and you, and you really believe in it. And you, the more you sell of it, the more you feel the ownership on it as well. And I think that's kind of what happened. And Hightail, again, I mean, Mountain Goat's just done such a great job for so long of being a staple Australian product and being the craft beer that isn't snobby. It's the beer that everyone could drink, and I, and I think they nailed that market really early as well. They never, to me, came across as the we're better than you product, which I think craft beer falls into that trap a lot as well. Um, so, yeah, th- those two, I kinda, I'll put them in the same realm in that, in that number three spot because they kind of happen simultaneously um, and definitely sort of took me on that journey of, what beer can be and what beer really probably should be too. Yeah, and yeah. both malt-driven um, beers, which, you know, we, we don't, I just don't think we celebrate enough. No. And then the other factor of those two beers, amazing Trojan horses for getting people into beer because yeah. it's a lot of people who are not into beer have a lot of these you know urban myths or ideas about you know our oh, dark beer is heavy mm-hmm. you know oh it's gonna sit on my stomach it's gonna fill me up and yeah. all of these kind of misconceptions it's like, a, it's like eating a meal exactly yeah yeah, yeah. We, and you've heard it you know a hundred <laughs> times before here were beers that weren't as dark as dark can be yeah they you could see light through them they had a beautiful caramel color the sunset yeah <laughs> through them i mean what a great name yeah as well it's just perfect for that product. Relaxation, yeah. you know, end of the day, just everything about it. And here's these two beers, which would have changed a lot of people's minds mm. about, you know, so-called dark beers yeah. or darker beers. Um, and also 
both a, a bit of a nod to that English style bitter, which a lot of Australians, their experience is, you know, the weak, warm, palmy piss, <laughs> um, which, you know, is, again, a, a misconception, um, but also probably true. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that those two beers really do champion what is great about Australian beer. Yeah. Probably, you know, might, might not quite get the recognition, particularly, I think, Two Birds Sunset. Yeah. Probably doesn't get the recognition that, um, certainly Hytale does because it had the first starter, yeah. you know, and it's been around longer. I think Two Birds fall into that a little bit because they're not old enough to be the old brewery, um, but they're not young enough to be the new brewery. They, they came in at, at that early stages, but they don't get the recognition of being a founding brewery, which they really are for the craft beer scene. Yeah, 2011. You know, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Um, but you're right. I just don't think they get that recognition. Um, and Sunset in particular, I know it's changed people's minds. I was there. I was a person that was physically trying to change people's minds with Sunset, and it worked. And you would see that. And um, post working in restaurant, I went into uh, independent liquor retail um, and really dived into craft beer and, you know, started pursuing it heavily. Um, and that was one of the first beers that in the store I ran, I brought it in and would, would wax lyrical about it. Um, to anyone who listened to me and I would that was a beer that I would take the average guy that was kind of interested in a, a different beer you know would maybe gamble a little bit and say oh give me something different would take that and would come back the next week and would buy it again and then say what, what else do you have and that was the beer that would open the door for me to go try this try this try this and you know hopefully put them on the journey to their barley wines and their uh, sours and whatever it might be whatever crazy stuff sort of comes next but there's probably a lot of people now that are sitting back drinking barrel-aged sours that had Sunset as one of their first beers to get them in, the, in there. So Yeah, and no Two Birds breweries, uh, Two Birds beers were in the Gab's Top 100 this year. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy list as well. I, um, it is. I mean, we could do a whole... Yeah. Actually, we won't do a whole... I'll just refer you to Bruges News Podcast. It's just, <laughs> yeah. We did a special on the Top 100 where all of this type of thing was discussed. But it's still an interesting... Um, case of of a brewery that's been around for a long time yeah. um, but also ju- does show the demands of you know things that are not innovative or not perceived to be uh, you know the, the the new thing around yeah. perhaps we do lose sight of of a value of someone like two birds which I think is so. yeah. you know quite an extraordinary brewery in in its own right um, and very local for, for Melbourne and I suppose um the the less high profile and, 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 and strangely there great, are high profile yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> and they still make great beers yeah. um yeah it's it's there's so much around these days that I, I guess it's hard to break through um and especially if you've always been around there's just a feeling you'll always be around so you, I think for consumers that leads into that what's new culture of craft beer which I'm as terrible at as anyone I mean this week I picked up eight new beers I don't think any of them. I will buy again, even if I love them, I'll still be the bad consumer that buys the next eight next week, whatever it might be. But you walk past it, you don't think about it because it's always there. I'll come back to it. Um, And it would be nice, I guess, you know, maybe we can have a festival around, come back to these beers, like come back to the the flagship beers, leave leave all the Nipahs alone and let's drink some multi stuff for a while. Um, I don't know how tickets are sell, but we can give it a crack. <laughs> well, if the coronavirus said it is go by, tickets will not be on sale. But yep. I would be in for that festival. I think um, 
you, you know definitely kind of celebrating you know those those styles that, and then this podcast kind of is the designed to do that you know yeah. go back and reflect upon actually you know that beer was great and it still is you know when you revisit these things and i i'm guilty because i'm a promiscuous uh craft <laughs> beer buyer as well because you want to know what's shiny and new and maybe i haven't bought a six pack of sunset like in the last yeah. year yeah. why i haven't is is beyond me i, yeah. sh- I should go and do that right now then yeah. <laughs> <We're out here>. <laughs> <laughs> well talking of it's one of those dilemmas that you will experience in your role as sales yeah. manager at bright is that you you have your promiscuous craft beer buyers and then you have um you obviously want people who just stick on one beer and return to that and that yeah. you know that satisfies their their beer need how do you navigate that clearly with the range that you've got i can definitely see there's sense in what you're doing but Mm -hmm. can you talk us through a little bit about how that's working on a practical level at bright so on a practical level um i guess it's sort of a twofold you want to have your bread and butter has to be your core range um and probably one of the hardest things for us to gauge before coming to melbourne was the beers that sell in bright and even the northeast are very different to what sell in Melbourne Metro. Um, it's even the packaging as well. I mean, we didn't need to do cans in the northeast. People were happy with bottles. The move to Melbourne was, you know, I, I didn't want to hear that question, when are you getting cans ever again? Because it was just daily. Um, so coming into Melbourne, it took a little bit of time to flesh out exactly what it was going to be. And obviously being from Melbourne and working in Melbourne, I had an idea of what people wanted. My My sort of game plan on it was to solidify the core range and figure out exactly what it needed to be. So we actually have, I think, eight beers on our core range technically now. In saying that, we probably have five on focus. So, um, I mean, we still have um, our Belgian Double in our core range, um, which you can imagine it sells out all the time. Um, but I think we're the only brewery in the country that would ever do a Double on its core range. But we knew that we... You, mu- you must be the I'm, only I, probably in the world at this point um, <laughs> except deli- outside of Belgium yeah it's delicious um, and it does really well at the brew pub um, but the focus had to shift from a beer like that um, to some different things so when we made the transition to Melbourne uh, with the packaging as well the big things that we moved to were pale and lager were going to be the focus of the core range to begin with and the first two cans we brought out they're your market leaders we knew we had really great, great product. Um, it was going to be a slow burn. We knew it was going to be a really hard market, but we wanted to make sure that we had that there for the consumers that that's the beer that they go for. We then backed that up with our limited releases. So we started looking at realistically what are people wanting, um, which was Neepers. Um, so when we launched Pale and Lager in a Can, we came out with a Citrus Neeper in a Can at the same time. The concept with that is one will feed the other. My hope and what i think does happen and we can sort of look at the numbers on this is typically you can get it into a retail position where you can have all three together the likelihood is that the crappy consumer like myself will come in they'll see citrus neeper well that's a beer i want to drink so i'm going to buy that you know what i haven't revisited that beer in a while when they look at the pay or the lager maybe i'll grab a six pack of that so you're trying to get them to try something that's that's really eye-catching it's really popping it's a style that they're going to engage with straight away and hope that transfers them back to go, you know what, I haven't looked at their normal stuff before and I do need a six-pack of pale ale for the footy tonight or whatever it might be. Um, 
and we've kind of done it that way. We've mm. we've built it simultaneously, and it's worked quite well. I mean, our lager in cans has surprised me. I thought that was going to be a really tough sell, but we've done really well with that. And I think mm. what we've been able to do is, with the limited releases as well, is get the noisemakers and the people that are more engaged to go back, drink the beers, and we know their quality. And once they try the, the citrus and the... Uh, Brett Pale Ale you've got today and whatever else we brought out we brought out so many beers I forget um, a lot of sours as well but they'll try those and they'll go man Bright's killing it um, I'm going to grab some lager and then they go this is a really good lager and we hope it sort of it feeds that way there's no, as I said before there's no like trick and or there's no answer if there is and you're listening and you know it contact me because it made my life a lot easier um, but that's that's how we sort of looked at it. We try to build them simultaneously, and it, it's a bit of a balancing act. You don't want to overarch on one and sort of leave the other one hanging, but I think we've got a, a really nice system at the moment. Um, the core range, the, the ebbs and flows have obviously come through as well. We introduced MIA IPA, um, which has been around forever, but it's always been a seasonal product for us. Um, spoiler alert, that's going to come up later on in my chosen six. Um, <laughs> I'm a company shill. Um, but that, um, that beer... I always felt deserved more and it had struggled in bottle and I think that was just a, a fact that IPAs and bottles weren't a trending product. We put that in can, now we're up to our fourth batch of that and we're doubling production pretty much every time we do it and kegs are starting to go out the door before we can brew them again. But that was a conscientious decision to make a beer that was probably a bit more new age. You know, uh, range prior to that is pale, lager, amber, wit, porter, double. There's nothing crazy new in that that's a very old school great great range to have but not as modern as it could be so we've made those sort of shifts as well it's really fascinating that you'd have a almost like a two-stream business in the respect that what's selling really well in the restaurants and at bright brewery on site is quite different from what like an inner city market wants Mm. and you have to really take a smart approach to that because you could you know the the figures that you're getting across the bar would say one thing but then you have to address the reality of the demands that's a a really complex it's it it could be i think i'm lucky enough to be in a business that had such a long time to uh to get its its shit together um but basically we've got a lot of really good people in really good places and and we have our sort of weekly meetings about breakdowns and you know we'll see okay well this is what's done really well in melbourne this week and here's the numbers and we'll get that from the bar as well what it's meant is that the conversations just have to be a lot more open um and it's working really cohesively with the bar you know the bar might come and say hey we're doing incredibly well with uh whitbeer in bottle this week or this month and i go okay that's great let's let's divide production up and let's make sure you're looked after because melbourne's not looking at, at this much but then I might have a run on a sour beer in package that'll do really well, but you know, for whatever reason, it's it's not picking up in town. The, the tourism isn't necessarily looking for that product. We just we have to be ready and skewing to that, and we've had some time to to sample it. We have sixteen taps to the brewery too, so you know, there's always a range for everyone. It is interesting to see week on week what sort of pops up and what what drops down. It's usually pretty consistent, and then every now and then you'll have a spike on something, and it's usually because the footy club came in and they decided that's what they were drinking, but um. Yeah, it's 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 funny. It's very different businesses and very different sales and marketing styles. I guess you know our northeast sales rep um, has a very different custom base to what I have, um, and you can really tell when when you look at that. 
you know, oh, wow, you're doing really well with bottles, but your can sales, they're really picking up. And then my can sales are killing my bottle sales. So, yeah. Wow. And I think one thing that Bright does really well is embracing this seasonal idea. Yeah. Not just in terms of, I mean, most breweries do have seasonal beers, but like as a celebration. Yeah. For seasonal, yeah. like, and particularly the winter festival, yeah. is just a wonderful idea. But also to kind of execute that and and build these beers around it, mm. it has been really special. I mean, is that something that's just is that a core range festival? <laughs> it <laughs> so, is. So uh, we're, we're talking about darker days, which is uh, June twenty seventh this year. Um, for all of you, book it in now. Bright gets booked up early. Um, it is and. I think what's really special about it is one thing that Australia probably hasn't been able to do or it might have done and it's kind of lost its luster a little bit is when a beer would come out five, six, seven years ago, there was noise around it and you'd do a, a, a beer launch and you'd have a, a room full of people and nowadays it's a beer launch every night. There's probably 10 beer launches in Melbourne today um, and although it's great and it's, it's a great proliferation of product, it has watered down the concept of these things. Um, but then you'll see something like Planet of the Elder or Planet of the Younger and they'll have a line for 10 hours in a small town in California um, and they celebrate it and they create that cult feeling around it, but it becomes an event. And I guess that's what we've tried to do with Darker Days. Um, it's the launching of what we would call our Dark Beer Catalogue for the year, so um, the yearly launch of our Russian Imperial Stout, Stubborn Russian, um, along with usually two or three other ones, Black Diamond, Black IPA, um, and then normally a seasonal. Um, we did Affogato Stout last year that went really well. Unfortunately, I don't think that's coming back this year. Our brewer knows how much people love that, and I think he takes pride in the fact that he's not going to brew it again. Um, but he has something really special lined up. But we, we do treat it like a, a big event. You know, we have It's a reason to celebrate. It's a reason to get around um, and enjoy beer again. Uh, darker days last year was probably the wettest day that's ever existed in humanity. It did not stop <laughs> raining for, I think, eight hours. Um, we were in a marquee without a floor, which became basically a, a mud pit. Um, and, you know, my, probably my favourite part of that was people just embraced it and people just said, you know what, we're here, let's just get dirty and drink dark beer. And um, it rained so much that it, we could barely light our giant hash bonfire, which is meant to be the, the big mark of celebration. We had to get the CFA to come out and they had something that will light fires um under huge rain but it happened and yeah it's every year darker days will happen and i think everyone gets around it it's starting to get a bit more of a reputation just as a as a fun event about beer um that's not overly nerdy and even though it it does launch some very sorry sort of beer nerd driven beers it's more about come enjoy beer come enjoy what the industry is about and and get involved and yeah, it's it's a very exciting thing for us. We 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 just announced it a few days ago for this year. So yeah, and we talk a lot on this podcast about beer education. Yeah, I mean, what better way to educate people by kind of doing it subliminally? Yeah, <laughs> having a festival. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions as we talked about earlier in the podcast about dark beer, and you know, to have people uh, just oh, it's an excuse. But they're learning all the time and being educated about what dark beer is, what it can uh, deliver, etc. And the variety in dark beer yeah. you know, that people don't 
automatically appreciate yeah. because they think dark beer, Cooper's best extra stout, or Guinness. And <laughs> Guinness, that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know. Um, so to broaden people's horizons in such a uh, I was going to say non-threatening way. It, it's quite threatening when the CFA come with their uh, tools uh, yeah. in the middle of winter and um, <laughs> ready to, you know, raise a fire. But you know, it's a wonderful celebration and a great educational tool. I think just by default. Yeah. So Evan, choice four. Choice four. Um, so this is probably uh, it'll be. One of the craft, probably the craftiest pick I'll make, I guess. Um, so, eight wired coffee brown, C4 coffee brown. I spoke to the distributor about three weeks ago and said, Can you please call them and beg them to make this beer again? I think I drank my body weight in this beer for about six months. Um, the store I was running would get cases of this as often as we could, and I reckon I bought all of them. Um, but explain to us what this beer is. It sounds pretty special. So it was just it was my first probably foray into Kiwi beers, and this is 2013. So almost this is before I think Australian beers really got that that hot palate down, and the, the Kiwi beers that were coming out were incredible. And you were seeing the real heyday of your liberties and your epics. And um, I don't think Garage Project really made that much noise yet. But they were sort of an eight wired, and I could talk endlessly about eight wired beers. It's probably one of my favorite breweries. But this brown ale uh, was made in collaboration with a local coffee roaster. And I think it was the first time I'd probably ever had a beer of that nature that had collaborated with something outside of beer. Um, you know, obviously, it's coffee notes in beers, but this was meant to sort of really showcase that. And I was infatuated with it. It was full and chocolatey. It just, again, really malt driven, um, which is funny because I wouldn't have, like, in retrospect, I would have called myself a malt beer drinker, but I obviously was. Um, but just big coffee hits, and, and it tasted so authentic, but it tasted richer than any other beer I'd had before. It just had a different layer of complexity and and, um, and flavour. And I kind of, in my mind, I don't know if it's as good as I think it is. I don't know if I've built up the own hype, own up my mind. I'd be worried if I drank it again, I would never live up to it. But again, I just loved that product. And I remember texting one of my friends saying this is the best thing i've ever drank and i'm ever going to drink everything ever again um half, i obviously have half, half liter bottle was it, was it 500 like, mil yeah, yeah. yeah you know and you know you drink a couple of those and you feel pretty good about yourself um <laughs> what percentage was it, was it i think it was like six percent yeah i don't think it was too heavy and again i think it was probably it was before even eight wide was doing the crazy stuff it's doing now you look at eight wide beers on the shelf and you've got a lot of barrel aged stuff and a lot of sours and um probably going down a little more of that sour track from what mm. we're seeing now, but this is when they were doing their red ale and their hop wired IPA, which was incredible as well. And tall poppy, tall poppy red, iced out. Yeah, that was a real standout as you well. Know, I remember, I think it's called cronking. Is that it? When you would uh, get the half iced out and the half hop wired, and you'd put them together and you'd blend them. Um, I don't think that was the best idea, but I remember that was <laughs> that was a trend for a while. And also, it would have been um, in 2013. It would have been relatively expensive to buy. Yes, these bottles. You Staff know. discount was great. Um, <laughs> yes. What wasn't great was the fact we had a tab. So uh, yeah, you'd get your get your payslip at the end of the month and a little envelope in there saying this is how much you owe us. Okay, I didn't didn't budget for that. Um, so I had to you give... actually basically had to pay to work there. <sighs> I'm pretty sure I actually went broker working at that business. Um, explains why I was only there for twelve months. Um, but. Yeah, that was uh, that was my first foray. Probably into the bigger bottles too, and just like that's in a lot of ways probably deep craft. 
um, that's not just your local stuff. That's your that's your import. That's specialty limited release. That's you know with Sunset and Hightail, obviously even Grizz, um, standard lines, core range. This was a meant to be a one off. Probably brewed a couple times, but yeah, I haven't seen it in the past six years. So, Soren from Eight Wide, if you listen to this podcast, please God bring it back. Yeah, yeah and if. It's one of those things as well, which I think you know that you've been bitten when you're spending like fifteen dollars on a oh. half liter of beer. Which it's not back... that's not even much. Like I reckon at that no. stage, I remember spending, and I, I blame Brendan O'Sullivan for Three Ravens for this when I was drunk. He convinced me to buy a Murray's anniversary ale. I think it was seventy five dollars for <laughs> for a seven hundred ml bottle of the Ale House Project at about one a.m. in the morning. I don't remember if it tasted good because I think I was pretty hammered. But I remember the next day going, did I just spend $70 on a bottle of beer? Who am I? <laughs> I was the kid that drank $6 champagne. Where have I gone? With persuasive skills like that, Brendan should give up brewing and take your job as oh sales my God. Uh, manager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never really forgiven him for that, to be honest. So. <laughs> but it is one of those uh, markers that you're actually, you've been bitten by the bug. You're, you're going to, you're in, you're in too deep at this yeah. point because you... You know, whilst everyone else is buying uh, slabs of EB for forty dollars back you're in two thousand thirteen, you're spending forty dollars on one bottle of beer, or not yeah. even. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, I'm I'm sort of praying that at this stage my fiance has gotten over listening to my voice because she hears it all day anyway, and doesn't hear the next point where I've got a a collection at home that's got to be worth two three thousand dollars in in beer at this point as well. Wow, um, I'm terrible for it. I um. I've slowed down the last couple of years. A mortgage definitely puts that in perspective for you. But I was the guy that, you know, if Canteon came out, I was buying as many bottles as I could. Um, I've got that the first Mountain Goat barley wine, which I think is from like 2015, maybe, the champion. I've got a bunch of stuff in there. like, And I'm also terrible because I, I won't drink it. I, I Once I drink it, I know it's gone. So I'm, I'm a bit of a hoarder in that way. Um, now, I'm going to have a serious conversation here yeah, with you, Kevin. I know I need to drink these beers. You've got to... You've got to drink them. I know. I mean, coronavirus is yeah, it's happening. coming through. Yeah. Maybe Who be knows my... how long is that? Maybe, Maybe... that'll be my two-week mission if I get quarantined. <laughs> All right, well, I've got to get through them now. I can't leave the house. I can't drive. So I'll come home with you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, had a few, I've had a few beer nerd friends come over and sort of look at me and be like, not today, friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I, one of my friends was telling me that he has a decoy beer. So he has, you know, his selection yep. of craft beers, and when his friends come around who don't know a whole heap about beer, he's he's got his his furfies or his decoy beers. I I have three fridges, so I have <laughs> the the beer fridge that no one can go to. I've got the beer fridge that is usually fairly well stocked, um, which is for people that like beer and, and sort of appreciate and want a little bit of different stuff. And then I've got the main fridge, which will. Normally have uh, a couple of like my everyday sort of session beers, which usually bright beers, obviously pretty easy to get for me. Um, but there will be it'll be sneaky other decoy beers in there. Um, my father-in-law uh, is a big fan of VB, um, so if it, he'll drink VB. But if it's not in there, he'll find whatever he can and open it. And uh, he's definitely opened beer he shouldn't have before. <laughs> I've, I've come home and he's you know cracked an eighteen dollar can. And I've just looked at him like, what are you doing? Um, so yeah, I have my decoy beers for, for everyone else as well. Um, you got to. It's, it's I got to protect move. the good stuff. So yeah, it's a smart move. And my partner yeah. knows. She knows that she can only send people to certain fridges. So yeah, it's a uh, god. I'm obsessed. I'm too. I'm too much into this. <laughs> <laughs> and and saving up for a wedding as well. You know, 
at the at Bright Brewery, funnily enough. Oh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. Well, um, let's move on to choice five. Choice five. Okay. Um, so I remember getting this beer. Um, again, I think, I don't know if this is a seasonal product or uh, it's a limited release, but I, it's come out a couple of times since. So it's from Denmark. It's from beer here. And this would have been, again, 2013. I'd been given a sample. Uh, I was beer here, Hop Fix, um, their IPA. And I still remember the label with the, the hop syringe on it. But at this stage, the the bottle shop I was running, we were getting in 15, 20 new beers a week. We were trying to basically build this giant collection. And I think where, it, where was this? Place? This was out in, in Lillardale. So it was mm. a small little celebration store um, that basically became my little hobby house of craft beer. <laughs> and fortunately, uh, it worked really well that we had a lot of... Uh, we call them Cubs, cashed up Bogans in the area that um, they like to spend money on interesting stuff. So it worked well. And, it, and um, I think by the end of the, my tenure there, we had something like 600 beers on the shelf. Um, but remember the, the sales rep coming in with the sample of beer here, she really wanted me to, to try it and get some stuff in. So um, put it in the fridge and then at lunch, we used to crack a beer pretty much every lunch because we'd have so many samples at that time. You just needed to find time to drink them. Mm. I remember sitting up, making a salad sandwich, pouring this beer having a sip of it and just like i get ipas now like i understand <laughs> um it just blew me away it was so fresh and so hoppy and just like that was i think that's what sent me down the, the rabbit hole of ipa and um, from there on it was like i just need to get as much bitterness and, and hoppiness and you know forever searching for the highest ibu i could get um and i blame it on that beer but i still remember just the freshness of that. And obviously it's a real differentiation from the malt-driven beers. It's quite light and palate and um, just, yeah, yeah, incredible product. And a, a couple, I've seen it pop up here and there occasionally over the last couple of years. Um, North Down will bring it in, I guess, when it's, it's seasonally available and, and, and it works out for them, their time, but I'll always pick it up. And it's always been good. It's, it's never been a bad beer. Um, it's always sort of lived up to the hype. Every, every two years, maybe I'll get it and go, wow, that's still one of the best IPAs I've ever had. So kind of an under-the-radar beer. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else talk about it. Um, but for me, just a real epiphany beer, just a real eye-opener and got me just really excited about what beer could be, I guess more so than just like the sweetness or the maltiness, that that IPA. St- the style of IPA, you, you kind of need those beers for IPA. I think it's a style that once you're in, you're hooked, but you need to get hooked. Um, and that was it for me. And I think um, it's really interesting that those beers that you talked about earlier, kind of malt-driven or mainstream, uh, and then this. Yeah. And it, I think you almost have to have lived this to understand it. Yeah. Is that you're not restricted. Uh, you know, you speak to so many people who, who kind of love beer, but they just drink one mm. or two types of beer. And it's almost like having Foxtel and yep. just watching, locking your TV into SBS <laughs> yeah. and Seven Mate. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're my two channels. Why? Like, once you've been through it, you you get it, and I suppose that's what makes us so passionate about mm. it. That you know, just because you like stout or because you like two birds sunset ale doesn't restrict you to that yep. it's it's just another way to enjoy your beer and yep. enjoy enjoy life it's like you know and and you can be passionate about a certain genre like film people are passionate about horror or comedy whatever it is 
but can still enjoy everything else. But you can still watch yeah. other things and get something out of it. Except musicals. Musicals are terrible. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Except Singing in the Rain. Yeah. I mate. 1952. Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds. Amazing. I'll take your word on it. Mainly because they just take the piss out of <laughs> musicals. Okay, good. That's, yeah. that's the... See, I, I, uh, I, can't, I can't do them. I, it breaks the fourth wall. How do they all know the dance? How do they all know the song? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Well, Singing in Raid is a great starting point because okay. that is definitely uh, a place. Takes the mic. It just takes the mickey out of itself. And, um, and, and but yeah, I'm very affectionate towards it. <laughs> Probably too affectionate towards it. Gene Kelly is exceptionally good. He's very handsome. There we but go. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> we had a few views now, haven't we? Uh, that's a different podcast. Um, Rob to choice six. Choice six. So... I'm actually flipping in my mind here a little bit. We said before we started we could do honourable mentions. So trying to think what would be – what's going to make that the sixth one, I think. I'll throw a couple of honourable mentions out. Um, there is uh, the first Imperial Stout that I remember just really being amazed by and was Hawker's first one. I think it might have been like 2015. Um, was when John Selton was still brewing. I remember having it. And it, was, it wasn't barrel-aged. There was no additives. It was just a clean-cut Imperial Stout and just being wowed by the finesse of a, of a beer. And really, that, 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 that to me was... That, that's the perfect word for it, was the finesse. Like, it was just so perfect in every way. It was what it should have been. Um, and I don't know if they ever got the clout for that that they actually deserved. Um, following on from clout, I'll uh, move to Nail. Not Clout Stout, which is delicious, um, but Nail Red Ale. Um, most notably the first batch they ever did, which was the double dry hopped um, Citra one. Um, wow, that that beer still a, a real sentimental favourite. If I see Nail Red, especially in cans now, I'll, I'll grab it straight away. Um, it's always kind of hurt me that they've never had as much success as I feel like they deserve. Like their beers are just so good, um, and getting them outside of WA has been sporadic and it's been hard. And I've always felt like they should have been so much more widely available, and people should have just jumped on board with them um because they just make absolute bangers yeah i had a vpa oh my god sensational <laughs> yeah really did cool. you have the mvp their mid-strength like, no crafty pint last year literally said to me i think this might be the best beer of the year i think it was last year it was maybe 28 whatever it was but he was just like this and i went out and got it straight away and i agreed i was like it's just so good um but for some reason they've just flown under the craft beer radar on the east coast of australia like yeah they'll pop up and people get some stuff and they've just, but they've never Got their just due, I think. Um, and then I guess my sixth one, as I alluded to earlier, um, MIAIPA. So I have only been with Bright now for about 12 months, but I drank this beer five, six years ago on a ski trip. We passed through, stopped in the brewery, um, got a pint of this, and just remember being like, this is incredible. Like, this is the best fresh West Coast I've had here. And it was before I feel like Australian breweries were really hitting the, hitting the mark with beer quality in that category of, of hoppy beers and IPAs. I think we were still struggling to, to figure it out, whereas now we've really... We're, I can put our beers up against anywhere else in the world. I spent four weeks in the States last year and I really didn't think that what they were producing was even with the quality we were producing. I just felt like we had a level of freshness and quality and, and flavour that they had. Maybe I was drinking the wrong beers, but I just, I just didn't find it there. Um, but I remember MIA... Um, funnily enough, brewed by John Selton, who made the same beer at Hawkers. So he was the, the brewer 
Bright before he went to Hawkers, and it's his recipe, and it's named after him. So the name MIA comes from him going uh, paragliding for lunch uh, one afternoon and got caught up in a windstorm and went the wrong way and was missing in action and literally trudged back to the brewery, I think, six, eight hours after he was meant to, and they're about to call search and rescue, and he had his, had his uh, paraglider with him and went, yeah, well, sorry about that, guys. So wow. That's that's where the name MIA comes from. He, the little character on there is meant to be him, and yeah, uh, forever, forever going to be in the brewery in some way. But uh, yeah, just, just an incredible beer um, and a passion project for me when I came to the brewery. I just I felt like knowing that beer and how it could be and drinking it when I was at the brew pub and it wasn't distributed really in Melbourne yet and going, this beer just needs to be, it needs to be seen. Um, and probably a real sense of pride for me is, is that beer and where it is now. Like I can take it to stores and I can take it to bars and people are like, oh, I've had this, it's great. Or yes, like I, I've walked through a few places recently where I've like, oh, I've been trying to get in contact with you. I want this beer. Um so, yeah, it's a bit of a company shill move in some ways, but I'm not ashamed of it. Um, hopefully you take it home tonight, you crack it, and you go, oh, I see what he was talking about. Um, yeah, I actually had a pint of it um, when it was up at Bright Brewery, and it was one of those where it had a, um, a pot of the Alpine lager yep. and then it had a pot of the pale. And then this just knocked my socks off. It yeah. was like, it was so good. Yeah. And it, to restrain myself from a second pint mm. was difficult yeah I, I did because i can oh i had to watch a uh, singing in the rain on dvd oh well yeah i mean <laughs> and you can't fall asleep for that apparently so. so it was one of those where you know it was just a really i think and john selton if one thing john does very well which is the best thing that you can do with the beer <laughs> is balance yeah so yeah. well balanced yeah. and yeah really um and the, and the beer has stayed fantastic. very true to his initial recipe there's obviously going to be tweaks over time and um i think the, we, we made a, a slight reduction in alcohol percentage just to make it a bit more sessionable and in the past uh, past year but reed sort of took that and said this is already a great beer and we just maybe up the freshness a little bit new hops are obviously available that weren't available when john first brewed it but we tried to keep it from what it was because it's always great um and it's been a, a really nice beer to take out and then see people like yourself that have been to the brewery and be like, I had this beer. It was awesome. I just didn't think to buy it anywhere or I'm so glad I can get it again. And yeah, that'll be what I drink when I get home tonight. That'll be the first beer I crack out of the fridge. Just just don't go paragliding when you're... Uh, no, no. <laughs> you're, but I love I love the name. Like, it's just, it's so great. So yeah, yeah. superb story. And uh, looking at the can art as well, it's uh, very good. Um, <laughs> Bright Brewery is a part of the... Uh, a region of Australia that's been impacted by the yes. catastrophic bushfires, yep. which um, you know are still ongoing as we record. Um, can you talk a little bit about the impact um, and maybe what people can do to help? Yeah, of course. Um, so, fortunately enough uh, for Br- Bright the Township, there wasn't any direct fire damage. Just the way that the town's situated, it is would almost take a perfect storm um, for the town itself to get hit. In saying that, the perfect storm did come at one point and there was a sketchy 12 hours where they were told, listen, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. Fortunately, th- over the night, it passed, but the surrounding area was, was widely affected. The town itself was evacuated twice, um, very much in the smoke haze of you can't see the hand in front of your face. So uh, the direct effects, I guess, of the bushfire, obviously uh, the landscape surrounding has had some... Um, some. I oh, had a lot of damage. Um, fortunately... 
not too much. Buffalo um, in the area has probably been the worst hit from what I know. Um, the main thing has been economical. So unfortunately, bushfires coming in in January, that's the, that's the main time for a lot of Bright and a lot of the Alpine region to really make its money. There's a lot of small businesses in that town. Everything's pretty much independently owned that are banking on that sort of 30-day period of tourism for people coming in and enjoying the area and really spending their money. So when you're evacuated, the smoke didn't clear for quite some time. Obviously, with bushfires, there's a there's going to be a sense of not wanting to come back, a bit of fear of it as well. So it's been very tough on the small businesses and um, everyone's been deeply affected. There's a lot of business in town that are still not fully operational yet. Um, and even and the Alpine region as well, not just Bright. So, in terms of what you can do, is it's a couple of things. Uh, if you're planning a holiday this year, head to the Alpine region, and it not even has to be the Alpine region. Head anywhere that's been bushfire affected, Gippsland, any of these ones. These towns would would love it. Uh, Lakes Entrance is another one. You know that they they got evacuated and they bank on this time of year. So if you've if you've got a, a long weekend, you got a, a bit of time up your sleeve go coronavirus is probably going to stop us from traveling anyway so what better time let's find the silver lining let's go and support small business i think that's what craft beer is all about um as an industry anyway so do that um the other big thing i guess is for the social media savvy follow empty esky um it's a a group of people that have been fantastic since this all happened and basically spruked the idea of you know go on a road trip and take an empty esky and pick up cheese at the local cheesemaker, get beers from the breweries and wines from the wineries and coffee from the coffee roaster. And there's so many amazing people making amazing product up there. You've got to stock your shelves. Why, why not stock it with a small business? You know, Woolies make enough money. They will survive. They're making killing on toilet paper at the moment. You know, go go get something from uh, from the local high country. So that's economically, that's what we're looking for. And the big thing that we really want to express um, as a collective and as a community is we don't want charity. We're not here for handouts, you know, a lot of people got to eat, people got to drink, people got to go on holidays. We have all of this for you. So, um, you know, hopefully, even if this reaches three people that'll go, it's, it's a it's a boost for us. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really what we want. That's just the tourism. Just come back. Check it out. It's awesome up there. It is awesome. And uh, actually, one of the reminders was uh, at the Timber Yard in Port Melbourne. They, yeah. Uh, Amazing had the events. Event. We did, and it was extraordinary. Mm. Not only... Just as a, like, I've been to Bright in the high country and I know how amazing it is. But to have that, like, experience and to think, well, so many diverse businesses, so many things to do, so many independent companies who are running mountain bike tours or, you know, paragliding or taking you, whatever you want to do, you can do it, whitewater rafting, or you just want to sit in a winery or a brewery and, you know, enjoy life. All of those things, and amazing in that event, how many businesses sold out? Oh, it was right being one of them. It was insane. Um, King River were there as well. Yeah, as a um, bunch of us, we uh, I think we the event was meant to run till five p.m. and I think by three thirty we'd actually sold out. Yeah, and we thought we brought too much. Yeah, um, I was there at three thirty. Yeah. I was had a chat with uh, <laughs> with some of the girls <laughs> yeah, that were yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. And the bushfires were such a just overwhelming experience and um being melbourne based and not being in bright it was obviously uh, way different for me you know i saw the smoke but i didn't i didn't feel the pressure of that obviously i felt for the people that i work with and the town that i love bright's like a second home for me but what i the silver lining for me from the whole thing is the amount that everyone rallied together it was incredible um the amount of support we got from the hospitality industry 
was just out of this world. Just contact upon contact, you know. I feel like January is meant to be the quietest period for a sales rep and I didn't stop working for 30 days because people just called me in every minute of the day. What can we do to help? Can we buy some beer? Can we do this? And it was it was awesome to see. It was just so heartwarming and I felt like it really showcased that Aussie spirit. And yeah, like um, hopefully that just sort of continues as well. We, we, we don't want that just to be like a fly by the night when the bushfires are front and centre. You know, that was obviously a focus. We, we want people to come back and, and see what we see. And when I'm spruiking this and when I'm spruiking Bright or when anyone is from that region, we're not doing it for the dollar. We're doing it because we genuinely love the region and we want people to experience it. So, yeah. I think it's it's very similar to grief. Is like when you lose somebody close to you, the, the three weeks afterwards are probably the easiest time in some respects because you've got all your friends and family around you supporting. But it's the months after. Yeah when everybody's gone and gets on with their life and i feel like this is the impact as well of areas that have been impacted by bushfires it's actually really important that we don't forget and that we actually visit later in the year in the winter you know it comes september that this is the time where it really counts and actually will really show that we do care that we should be responsive to it and we should celebrate just the amazing array of Australian local produce that we have. And it, to me, you know, that craft beer in a nutshell is it's small business, it's family owned and operated, it's, you know, almost me against the man in, in so many ways. But And that's what these towns are. You're not going to go into these towns and find McDonald's proliferating and, and all these sort of things. You're going to find Richie's and IGA's and, you know, the local butcher that's literally, that he's raised that cattle or someone in the town has raised that cattle. Um, for bright we actually have our, like we have cattle we fit our grain to and then they go to the local butcher and then that's the lo- that's the meat we use in house and we try to be farm to paddock but it's all about small business with us we, we're always trying to support whoever we can and um it yeah mean the world to everyone in town as long as you know when, when january uh, june comes july august september jump on jump in a car it's not that far away and there's always something to do it's a four seasons town even if you're going up to mount hotham or falls creek on a snow trip stop off for the day you know Grab some. I'll grab a burger at the burger place and grab a beer at the brewery, or go to the coffee roaster or the distillery. Just grab something. You know, everything. Every dollar is going to help. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, what's your favourite snack to drink oh, with the God, with if, beer? If I ask my father-in-law, he'd tell you fish jerky, um, <laughs> which goes really well with beer. Not something that I do. Um, geez, I'm a, I'm a potato gem kind of guy. <laughs> I eat like a child. Um, so that or a meat pie. Actually, if you're going to Bright. I'm going to get in trouble now because um, probably shouldn't spruik other businesses too heavily, but there's a place called Gumtree Pies, um, and I'm probably their largest advocate. If you're going through Bright, it is the best pie in the country. I, I swear on it. I'll go to my grave telling you there's no better pie than the Gumtree Pies in Bright. So That is a good shout. Yeah. Uh, on the potato gems, I had my first potato. It was at a children's party. I have got kids. I was invited. Okay, that's good. Just, that's okay. You know, hanging yeah. around. And I had a potato gem. It's like crack. It's I amazing. I was like, I could go down a wormhole. That's horrible. Like, Always I, in my freezer. Stopping at one yeah. is such a challenge. But um, And a, a vessel to drink. What would be your ideal vessel to drink these beers out of? See, for me, I like a chilled glass. Um, it's controversial. I know it is. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'm a big advocate for start them cold, let them go warm. Um, maybe I'm doing it wrong, and I'm sure people think I am. I... I genuinely like the refreshment of cold beer. 
Um, and obviously, let's let, we'll put on the style. I'm not going to chug down a barley wine when I get home uh, out of a chilled glass, but um, probably the, the, the glass of the vessel I use the most is I still, uh, still use the Spiegel IPA glass, even though I think that's probably just long out of fashion now. That's not the trend as much as it used to be. Um, the trend is breaking them. Yeah, I have never on broken one. Media. I'm going to knock on wood. <laughs> I've, I've had them for like six, seven years, the same ones, and they haven't broke. It's amazing. Um, prior to that... Uh, Crafted glassware out of Melbourne was a, a big favourite. Um, the Uncle Ben, I think it was called, which was the um, the can glass. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a big one for me. I've always really enjoyed that. I think the open top allows the aroma out. It looks cool. It's a nice feel. Um, yeah, I, I was always had the, the crafted glassware in the house. So shout out to crafted glasses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Evan, thanks so much for talking us through your beer journey and the six beers that changed everything. And uh, I'll put in the show notes uh, where people can find Bright online as yes, well. Please. And we wish you all the best as well in your in your new, relatively new role. Thank you. <laughs> and we look forward to seeing what happens in the future as uh, well. Watch the next 12 months. We've got some big things coming. So, yeah, there will, will be a big 12, 12 months of Bright and some exciting, very exciting things on the horizon. So, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Evan. Thank you, man. So that was it. Evan Craney from Bright Brewery. So many exciting things happening there. And obviously, uh, the challenges of the bushfires in the high country. Um, just a reminder as well, that often these things are on our doorstep that we overlook. Who knows what the uh, the current coronavirus issue how that's going to impact upon the way we travel and so on, that maybe the answer is in our backyard and in places like the amazing Bright Brewery. So thanks so much, Evan, for coming to record that. In the next episode, I'm speaking with international comedian Nick Kappa. This is a fantastic episode, uh, so much fun to record So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share. Look, now is a good time. You might have a bit more time on your hands or working from home. You're not doing a commute anymore. Uh, Leave a review. Uh, That would be nice. That'd give me a warm feeling inside. I'd just like to extend out uh, if anybody wants to get in touch um, through Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well, Twitter. I don't tend to tweet, but I do check uh, Twitter and via email either through thechosenbrewau.com. There's a, a contact me page or you can contact me on thechosenbrewau at gmail.com. Love to hear from you as always. And thanks again for listening. It means a lot. Speak soon.